Welcome everyone to another episode of Elbows Tight Podcast. Your host Travis John. I accidentally said that at the beginning of this interview. Did too. you? Yeah. I'm yeah. Right. Should have just jumped straight into it. John, who do we have today? Josh McKinney. Uh, I got to tell you, that was a good one. Um, yeah. I hope nobody listens to it because I want to try out a few things he said <laughs> before everyone hears it. But I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Today we had Josh McKinney. You know, from I Suck at Jujitsu podcast. Uh, a big avid competitor. Been training jujitsu for 15 years, started when he was 14 years old. Um, and th- like John said, this conversation was just so good, man. There's like so much like nuggets in there that, you know, it, I, you could just implement right now into your game. We talk about like designated winner, uh, which is, you know, a kind of a newer mindset of how to train instead of doing, you know, rigid techniques, one, you know, A, B, C, D techniques. Uh, and you know, Josh is just full of, of knowledge, man, for training for so long, especially starting at 14, he's got an interesting perspective on jujitsu. Yeah. And I think some of the, some of the tips he gives out in here on some ways to maybe improve your guard retention and yeah. whatnot, like, even though he said it and it sounded simple, I was like, man, I never thought of that. Yeah, let, absolutely. Let, you know, so I'm ready to go try it. There's, there's a couple of moments in the interview where we literally stop because I'm like, bro, I have never freaking thought of that. <laughs> Yeah, same, same. <laughs> so hopefully you guys enjoy the episode and uh, enjoy our conversation with Josh. It's it's, it's another it's another great one. Um, and if you guys want to go follow him, everything's going to be down in the description below, all of his Instagrams and, and website and whatnot. And go check out his I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu podcast. It's it's another phenomenal one. So, um, But yeah, I don't really have anything. Hit us up on Instagram. Let us know what you guys think. Follow us, Elbows Tight, everywhere. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. You, John, you got anything else? Nope, that's it. Give it a listen. Let us know. All right, guys. Thanks for listening and watching at home. We'll uh, catch you later. Peace. Are you tired of waking up tired? Well, your pillow probably sucks, but it doesn't have to. I'd like to introduce you to Mummy, a bedding brand that is revolutionizing the sleep game with their innovative six-chamber pillow. Their patented six-chamber design secures the filling in place so their pillow never becomes lopsided or loses support. It also features a breathable mesh to keep you cool throughout the night. A better and more productive you starts with a better sleep. Go to mummy.com and use code ELBOWSTIGHT for 15% off and free shipping. That's M-V-M-I sleep.com and use code elbows tight for 15% off and free shipping. With free shipping and free returns, there's no reasons not to try it. Let me give you some experience with the pillow. So for one, I've had a pillow that I've been using for 20 years. I know it sounds disgusting, but my entire household fights over my So we got this mummy pillow in and I, I got to tell you, I love it. It's cool for one and that's a big issue for me. I hate a hot pillow. Yep. You know, like you'd wake up throughout the night and you're flipping the thing. I love this pillow. I love the support. And, you know, I don't get much sleep with jujitsu being laid and work. So yeah. I really appreciate anything I get my hands on that's going to improve my sleep quality. Also, it doesn't feel like when I put my head down on the pillow, I'm getting caught up in a rear naked choke with the pillow just surrounding my head and whatnot. It's literally the most comfortable pillow I've ever used. I absolutely love it and I could not recommend it more. Sleep is the most important part of your recovery from jujitsu and and with Mummy, they definitely have stepped my sleep game up quite a bit. With free shipping and free returns, there's no reason to not try it out. Get 15% off your order at mvmisleep.com when you use code elbows tight. That's 15% off when you use code elbows tight. Sleep ambitiously with Thanks. mummy. Welcome everyone to another episode of Elbows Tight Podcast. Your host Travis John. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. I uh, don't want to go shovel my driveway if people are wondering why I'm wearing a jacket and a sweatshirt. Yeah, it's pretty cold here. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know why you're in the office with this. Like the office gets kind of hot in here and it's not it's not fun especially in a I sweater. need to burn the calories. <laughs> so, Today we have uh, our great guest Josh. Josh, how you doing today, man? I am doing good. I'm not trying to be that guy, but living in Illinois, I never get to be that guy. Uh the weather's really nice here. You know, it's like 70 <laughs> degrees today and sunny. Wow. Really? Yeah, it really is. I mean, I'm like, is he joking? Like, I don't no, know. No, I'm 100 percent honest. It is 70 degrees oh. and sunny. Of course, tomorrow it'll probably be 20, and it'll be terrible. Yeah, right. But uh, at least we got one day, you know. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, we live up in Washington State, and it's right now we're going through like a snow patch again. It was it was nice for a couple of days, and then it was like, oh, by the way, we still have some winter left for you. Yep. You so get second winter. It rained just like last we do. night. Yeah, it rained last night after snow, and so I walked out to my truck this morning, and the roads are just like, my truck, everything's just ice. It's horrible. My so. hinges were frozen this morning when I tried to open the doors. Yeah. Man. It sounds like your knees when you first start warming yeah, up in yeah. jiu-jitsu. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's just a sign that's saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't train today. You know, it's like, hey, maybe you shouldn't go outside today, you know? <laughs> your truck's like, maybe you shouldn't drive me today. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, Josh, uh, let's go ahead and jump into who you are and how you got into jiu-jitsu and everything like that. Uh, so like you said, my name is Josh McKinney. I am a black belt under Kyle Watson. I've been training jujitsu under him for 15 years. We did, uh, a few years of Gracie self-defense tapes before that. Uh, and that was really my first true intro into jujitsu. Uh, but since then I have basically, you know, the whole 15 years I've been under Kyle, I've been competing and, uh, gotten to travel the country, competing a lot, have a lot of really cool matches with tough people. And, uh, also when I got my black belt, I started a podcast called the, I suck at jujitsu show. And that is probably more of what I'm known for than <laughs> my competing, you know? Uh, and, uh, that is, I have, I have two schools that I run head, not HQ and head, not training center, Jerseyville. Um, they're both in Illinois and, uh, they have really excellent group of guys actually s starting to get a really good group of competitors at both gyms. And that is pretty much what there is to know about me. What made you start jujitsu? Uh, so when I was 14, my mom was, I was overweight. My mom was really pushing that I did something, whether it was jujitsu or whether it was a, just, just some type of sport. And I went to a really small private school that actually offered no sports. And so if I was going to play a sport, I knew I would have to like, go to switch to public school or just go into their programs or something like that. Uh, nothing really interested me. Um, but I always was a big like WWE fan. I was always a big karate movie fan and I knew what jujitsu was. We watched the UFC. And like I said, we had done a little bit of jujitsu. And, uh, one day my mom finds out from one of her friends that Matt Hughes is opening a gym, uh, five minutes from our house. And so it was just this perfect situation. So we, you know, I didn't have any interest in doing MMA or anything like that, but I knew that I wanted to do jujitsu. I was interested in doing jujitsu and really I was trying to appease my mom. You know, I just like, okay, I'll go do this one day a week. It'll be fun. I'm sure, but it'll be whatever, you know, it'll just be because mom's making me do it. And I right. went to my first class. Kyle Watson was the coach of that first class. I was a little too young. I was a little too small. Everybody was, uh, was a grown up and I was, I just turned 14 and I was pretty small for my age anyway. And, uh, he just kind of looked at me and, you know, had that chance to be like, ah, dude, you're too young. You know, you can't do it. And he just goes, let's, let's try it out. And, uh, I did my first class 
immediately I told my mom, hey, we've got to sign up for the unlimited membership. I want to do this every day. And I, I've done it every day since. What is What was it like 15 years ago as a child in adults class? Because my son's 14 and he does the adults class with me. And, you know, he's he, he doesn't necessarily like doing it too much because he's smaller than everyone. There's just a couple teenagers in there. But if they don't show up, he's like kind of rolling with the big guys. You know what I mean? It was. Um, so I'll paint you the picture. This is an MMA school. It's technically people consider it one of the first super gyms, like the first gyms that ever really had a lot of money put into it uh, facility-wise. They brought in some really good coaches, uh, and it was really, you know, it was really set up to be an MMA school. And I'm in the jiu-jitsu program of a purely MMA school, and everybody is brand new. We signed up at the same time. So it's me at 14 years old as, you know, everybody's easy round, and most of the people are not winning, you know, uh, so it was rough. It was rough for the first six months. And I remember, um, there's still guys that we joke about it. Now we still train together to this day, but I remember going with certain guys at open mat and we'd be the only people there. And it would basically be two hours of a grown man, just thrashing me. And, you know, for me, I, I never really played any sports. I really wasn't super competitive at first. And so it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't this big negative thing. I just, I was having fun. I was enjoying doing it. And then what would happen is like, as I kind of got closer to 15, probably seven or eight months into training, I would get like a sub on one of the adults and it would be legitimate. It would be like, you know, they took my back and they crossed their ankles, right? But I would get a sub. And what was really interesting was as a kid, I would get that win. And then that guy would basically never beat me again. Um, because as a kid, I'm able to dedicate so much more time than any of the grownups were to training. Yeah, and right. also I'm in school all day. I'm learning all day. They're at a point in life where they're not really learning other things. And so my ability to learn really was was better than a lot of those guys. Even though I didn't have the physical attributes, if I could figure out a way to beat them, a lot of times it would just work repetitively. And so there was definitely a lot of, uh, you know, I, I think probably 2023 word, there was a lot of trauma that was built up from getting beat by a lot of those guys all the time. But it also, um, it greatly affected my jujitsu even to this day. You know, it, when I compete, I usually do middleweight, but still I probably walk around at like 190 pounds and getting to apply little kid jujitsu when you weigh 190 pounds is like, super effective it's like it works really really well you know and uh you know getting to roll on both sides of the coin as the, the person that's weak and the person that's strong um really has given me a a good perspective of jujitsu and so you know to answer your question it was rough at first it slowly got better and it's something that looking back now i go that was so valuable i'm so glad that i that i got to do that yeah, it's it's so interesting because I think you were at the forefront 15 years ago. It's like the forefront of the um, the beginning of people training jujitsu, like becoming more popular, right? Uh, because we do, we talk to people all the time now that you know they're in late teens, you know, 18, 19 years old, early 20s, 15 years ago when they're training and they're training now as black belts. But the next generation has been training since four or five years old. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. They're they're 15 years old and they're they've had 10 12 years of training already and 
you know, their body was like is literally being made for jujitsu now. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be incredible to see what these people are like in, you know, their 20s and 30s. Well, one, they'll probably be broken. No, they'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, but do you feel like your body kind of like morphed into like being made for jujitsu because you know 14 you're just starting puberty and then or you're you might depending on i don't, I don't know i don't want to say that i know that <laughs> you don't want to speculate on when i hit puberty no but so like you said that there were any questions we could ask you when did you hit puberty Josh? <laughs> when'd you get your first armpit hair like <laughs> no but you know you're still like very young like do you feel like your body really kind of like morphed into being made for jujitsu because you started so young so i just i had this conversation with one of my buddies the other day and it was um i kind of like the start of it was dude i have lived more life doing jujitsu than i have not doing jujitsu at this point i just turned 29 and so i'm like i've been training for 15 years i started jujitsu when i was 14 years old and so one it's a little hard for me to picture my life before jujitsu at this point, right? It's really hard for me to kind of go into, you know, being able to train jujitsu and say like, oh, well, this is what it was like before for me, right? What I started to notice though, um, is like, as I, as I got, grew up, there were certain parts of the, of the jujitsu journey that my students were struggling with. And I would think back and I would be like, man, I did have to, I dealt, I dealt with that. And now it's just become a part of me. You know, it's just become something that I, I don't even think about. Uh, and so there are definitely certain strengths and certain flexibilities that are bizarre that I have that I go, Oh, I think that just comes from being on the mat for so long. So long. Um, and there's just, there's something different about doing an art, a sport, when you're doing it with adults who are all kind of staying the same physically or just diminishing just a little bit physically and you're like shooting through this point of your life where you're going from being a, a little boy into a man and mm -hmm. like you know you really are um yeah there really is something to that growth i guess i had a i have a student that's a, a blue belt he's 17 and we had been having this conversation that same conversation of these guys that you've been fighting at juvenile at blue belt, they have been training since they were two or three years old. Yeah. And I was, he's finally eligible um, because he turns 18 this year. He was eligible to do an IBJJF tournament. And we had this conversation. He's like, man, it's going to be so tough. They're going to be adults. I'm like, dude, don't worry about that. I'm telling you the adults are not going to be the level as the juveniles. What happens yeah. first match? Of course, he draws another 17-year-old who's a world champion <laughs> and has been training since he was two years old and has a scholarship to wrestle collegiately. And Oh, my you know, gosh. Of course, that's who he has. And it's back to, it felt like the juvenile division where he has a war with this kid. It's just amazing match. He ends up losing, but uh, it was only a three-person division, so we're going to get another match. And we're going to get to fight the number one seed who's won stuff at adult. And I'm like, hey, I promise you, it's going to be different. You're going to go with this adult and he's not going to be able to handle your pace. He's not going to be able to handle your jujitsu. And sure enough, he went with the adult and he was up like 18 to nothing and submitted him. And it was, it was one of those things like, yeah, dude, avoid the kids, avoid the, the high, you know, the, I mean, obviously not every juvenile division is like that, but the highest level, the green belts and the blue belts, they have been training forever. You know, they've been yeah. training as long as me. And so you're, that's like, that's a tough battle.
Oh yeah, if they look at me, I'm looking the other way. I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> I'll take oh, the guy over there with the gray hair and his chin as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I don't know. That's why I compete in ma- if I compete, it's gonna be a masters. You know what I mean? Like I ain't gonna worry about no juveniles. I ain't trying to walk on the mat like, damn, is that kid even old enough to drive yet? He's about to oh, whoop yeah. my ass, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. we see it in our class because uh, we have some kids. Remember, we've been yeah. watching them. They started at like you know 13, and they're like 17 now. And I'll laugh if, if we have a new adult class and they go to like take it easy on them. And then I'm watching the kid just smash them, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're going to learn. <laughs> Dude, that's, it, it's such I've an been on both check. sides, too. I've been, you know, I've I've lived as the kid, and I've lived as the adult. And uh, it's it's exactly how you you would expect being the kid and being like, man, I just beat down this grown man. You know, this guy's yeah. got a mortgage, and I just thrashed yeah. it, man. He has a 401k. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> like, he's all tired. He just got off his 16-hour shift yeah, and barely right. made it to the gym. <laughs> You're like, listen, little dickhead, all right? Yeah. Then you're like, hey, guess what I had? You ate a salad for lunch to make weight. I had Swedish fish, you know? I had Cheetos for lunch, dude. Yeah. No I just doubt. thrashed Swedish you. Swedish fish, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, you mentioned at the start of your journey, you did like the Gracie self-defense, Gracie combative stuff. That's so funny that you mentioned that because our academy was almost identical to your story we all started brand new everyone in the school was a white belt and we started with the gracie combatives and stuff like that and john and i always talk about how like i truly believe that set us up for success in our journey because it like instilled fundamentals so much into our jujitsu and i i and also, starting with everyone being brand new too, it's it's everyone's at a uh, the level playing field. Do you feel like the same thing with your journey? It really helped out quite a bit. Uh, it definitely equipped me like with the love of jiu-jitsu, uh, and it yeah. also I think a big thing, uh, and and maybe you guys could could uh, agree or disagree with this, but a big thing that it did for me was it kept me really open-minded because there were certain things that we learned in the the Gracie combative stuff. And then eventually, um, like in the Gracie university stuff, um, you know, the Hinner and Huron stuff that, you know, we, we were kind of familiar with the family. And so we wanted to, you know, kind of jump on that. We didn't realize in the competitive jujitsu world, how anti those guys a lot of people were and so we were just like no the stuff that they show i use in competition sometimes you know like some of the details that they have i went to a a huron gracie seminar when i was a brown belt and i think when it comes to just techniques given i think that he had some of the best stuff that i've ever seen you know just some of the simplest most effective best stuff that i've ever seen and so i think that the biggest thing that it did for me um, I don't, I don't know if there's any still Gracie combative thing that I still use to this day, but I do know that it, it put me in a situation that was way more open-minded and I realized like, okay, I can learn jujitsu from so many different places instead of just how everyone acts like you can only learn this way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I went to one of their seminars too. And, uh, for one, that's when I was like, oh, that's what people look like when they're built for jiu-jitsu. Those, <laughs> those two guys are big, dude. They're yeah, like, they're big. You know, I, I was pretty impressed. And Yeah, you're right. Um, we learned that way to begin with. And um, when we first opened, you know, it was a blue belt teaching our classes. And uh, we didn't know. It. That, that was like God teaching our classes. Yeah, we, uh-huh. we didn't know any of the stuff that he was teaching. And as we got older, people were like, oh, you know, you can't have a blue belt teaching and you know, or at the academy. And I was like, whatever, man. When you're brand new and you don't know anything. That, that blue belt might as well be a black belt. Right. He whooped my ass like a yeah. black belt. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Dude, anytime people deal in those absolutes in the jujitsu space, especially 
when it comes to learning. I'm sure that there are certain absolutes that you you can deal in, you know, like, hey, if you're slamming people off the mat, you're probably a jerk and everyone at your gym hates you. You know, you can live in that absolute. Right. But when it comes to learning, people that will just say, you can't do this, close yourself off to this, I just don't think that they're ever accurate. I don't think that that's ever the actual, uh, that's the truth. It's just what they were told and they go, okay, this is what I was told. And so I'm going to pass this down to you too. Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> let's jump into your competitive uh, journey. You mentioned that you started pretty much competing from from the very beginning. How soon after you know you joined the academy did you have your first competition? Three months. Uh, my first oh, wow. my first tournament. It was like uh, I you know I was the youngest kid there, and my coach my coach was a purple belt at the time. Which again, to your guys' testament, is like. That was just how it was back then. And he was one of the highest ranking guys that I had been around for probably my first, you know, until we went to that first tournament. The first uh, person that I ever saw that was a black belt, it's a guy named James Klingerman. He's kind of like a, a Midwest jiu-jitsu legend. And I remember uh, seeing him at this tournament and he was in the same division as my coach because you didn't have black belt divisions then. You had purple, brown, and black belt divisions then because it was, there was just not a lot of, high level wow. grapplers and getting to see him in person and see a black belt in person was this like mesmerizing and just amazing thing. Right. And so, uh, my coach got into this invite tournament. We lived in Illinois and the invite was in Ohio. It was an eight and a half hour drive. And that was what you did to compete. You know, now like we have multiple tournaments a year, 15 minutes from my house. Uh, and then it was like, no, if you were competing, you were traveling somewhere far, you know, you're, you're traveling somewhere far. And I just, I jumped in my first match. Remember, keep in mind, I'm a overweight kid learning to, to do jujitsu. My first match, the division's 14 to 17. The kid is 17, maybe. I don't know. Dude had dude looked like the scene in uh, the bench warmers when the guy keeps saying, like, I am 12. And they're like, oh, yeah. look at his birth certificate. And he opens yeah. it up, and it's green crayon written with his picture. And it says, I am 12. And there's, like, a $5 bill. <laughs> that, was, that was what it was like. This dude has, like, four MMA fights. And I'm fighting him in the beginner division at three months of training. And he armbarred me so quick. I had no idea what was happening. He armbarred me so fast. I didn't even think that to tap. And the ref stopped it. He was like, yeah, dude, that looked like it was going to break your arm. And I was like, it, the situation was just so overwhelming, so shocking. I was like, I forgot to tap. <laughs> I should have remembered to do that. And <laughs> right, I ended right. up the one important thing. <laughs> exactly. And luckily for me, my next match, the kid walked up to me after practicing his kata to warm up, and he said, hey, what, what's your element? And I was like, oh, I can beat this kid. I'll, I'll beat this kid for sure. I'm like watching, I'm watching his coach go who entered the expert division. He's getting choked unconscious in every match. And this is back when you would, you would go to a jiu-jitsu tournament, and you would be fighting guys that didn't do jiu-jitsu. They would just... Right. They would just come in and be like, oh, well, we do Taekwondo, so we'll enter this jujitsu tournament. And so That's I was able to, yeah, I was able to, uh, to beat that kid because he's never trained before. And it was able to give me enough confidence to, to keep doing it and, and keep competing. And I just had a blast doing it too and kind of competed regularly ever since. 
Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by Manscaped and I have a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beard products and it's going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leader in below the waist grooming or traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming product. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all of the best tools for your high joint hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code ETP20 for 20% off plus free shipping. It all starts with the cordless electric beard hedger. The waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons absolutely love the beard hedge trimmer it is phenomenal all the accessories that come with it and the design of the beard hedge trimmer it's it's phenomenal i can't i can't recommend it enough my face and my beard have never felt better agreed and i mean just having that dial and being able to adjust oh, it dude phenomenal great. Absolutely yeah. love it. So get 20% off and free shipping with our code ETP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using code ETP20. Always use the right tools to, for the job with Manscaped. When it comes to teaching or coaching kids now, because you have such an extensive you know, training experience as a kid, how do you approach uh, your students, if you tra if you train kids now when they compete, uh, knowing that you had that moment of freezing and forgetting about even just tapping, how do you instill like, hey, just remember tap or like, how do you approach it now? So uh, first off, I don't, I don't, I mean, I do have kids in my adult class now that, that train with me that are 13, but I don't teach my kids classes. One of my, uh, uh, when does this episode come out? Tomorrow. Okay, well, one of my guys. I said that, that really weird. Tomorrow, one of one of my guys <laughs> that he's actually going to be getting promoted tonight. Uh, so I'll I'll even I'll even tease it on the podcast. But he'll be a brown belt. But he's runs my kids program, and he is uh, just does an awesome job with the kids. But one thing that I do still always try to make sure of is that I go and help coach when when there's a tournament, just because there's a bunch of matches going. We have a big kids program and they always seem to go at the same time. Um, but the big thing that I push with the parents and with the kids is that I have done this since I was 14 years old. I was, there was points in my life where I was basically fighting once or twice a month, going competing everywhere I could, getting as many matches as I could. And out of all those kids that I fought from 14 to 17, that I know of, two still train. And that's wow. it. Okay. So the, the battle when it comes to kids to me, doesn't have anything to do with how good your kid is, how aggressive your kid is. It really has to do with that. Your kid is continuing to have fun and continuing to love jujitsu. Because if you want your kid to be a black belt, they're not going to be a black belt at 15. They're not going to be a black belt at 17. They're going to get their black belt when they are old enough and that they've continued to train. Right. And I've seen so many parents you know, especially kids that I would compete against that put so much pressure on their kids that they needed to to do this, they needed to win this tournament, they need just whatever, that it made jujitsu not fun. And as soon as jujitsu becomes not fun, kids are gonna stop doing it. If you don't have interest in something, you're not going to do it when you get the choice to not do it, right? And so that to me, out of everything else when it comes to competition, is making sure your kids are having fun is is the most important thing. When you competed, do you have someone that coaches you from the corner or uh, anything like that? Like, yes. So same guy that's coached me since my first tournament. Uh, I just competed last last weekend, and um, it was like uh, 
It was a company called Blue Corner. They did this really big, um, like St. Louis professional jujitsu show, and I got to be the main event on it. My coach got to be the co-main event, and it was oh, just this one. Is, when, is this was when you did this at like 10 p.m.? Is that is that when yes? You went that's on? when we competed late. late. Okay, all right. And yep. so, um, so you took you know, a nap that, before. Got it. I did. I took a nap before. <laughs> I woke up at 5 a.m. and I was like, man. And it just like naturally just woke up. And I'm like, well, I guess I've got to compete in 18 hours. Uh, that's weird. I'm like, I guess I'll just chill out or whatever. And so I ended up getting to eat and, and take a nap and stuff. Um, but what was cool about the situation, of course, I can't help it. I'm standing on the stage wait, watching my coach compete. And I'm naturally, I'm just yelling. You know, I'm just saying stuff. I'm just coaching. And then same exact thing. He wins his match. He walks off the stage. I walk on. And you can hear him in the video coaching me. You know, we had somebody, we both chose, there's a, a, a guy, his name's Junior Silva. He runs a, uh, uh, he runs a gym called Revive in our area. We're all on the same team. And basically we agreed, we're going to let Junior do our training camp for us. And we're going to let him coach us, but we still just couldn't help it. We're still coaching each other. You know, it's just like, I, yeah. So I've, I normally do have my coach there with me and uh, that's, I seem to perform best when I have him. Uh, it's just something familiar. There's something that goes back to when people like that are really good at basketball, they say, yeah, it's like we were in the backyard again and I was just playing basketball. <laughs> there's something that like sends me back to being 14 years old and overweight competing at the Ohio <laughs> grappling challenge, you know? And it's just like, Hey, even though that people are acting like this situation is big, it's like, it doesn't feel big because I'm with my coach. I'm still with the same crew. We're still doing the same exact thing, you know? Yeah. When it when it comes to your students coming up to you and coach or and wanting to compete, how how do you approach that? Are you kind of uh, honest with them if you feel like they might not be ready for competition because they need to work on something, or are you all about no matter skill level, start competing? So skill level, yes, absolutely. I don't really care. I don't care if you like have no skill at all and you want to get the experience. The reason I say that is because there is, um, if you want to be a competitor, getting reps of competing is one of the most important things. I have definitely lost to guys that in the gym I would have thrashed, but they just knew how to compete better than I did. They just knew when to go, when not to go. They knew how to not let the nerves get to them and make them make mistakes. And so something that I always will push with my students is always be like, okay, uh, you understand you could lose, you know? But as long as you're going in with the attitude that you're there to learn and you're there to get better, I totally support you competing. I'll be there to coach. The only time that I will tell people not to compete. For instance, I'm talking to, I don't know if I've, I've referenced this, but uh, my dad is a black belt too. We, we started jujitsu oh, wow. together and we trained uh, pretty much through together. He got his black belt like six months before I did. And I know, especially lately with how good our team has been doing competitively, I know that for him, he's like, I want to compete. I want to do it. But <laughs> yeah. here's the thing. I talked to him. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think that health-wise, it's worth the risk. You know, I just, I don't think that, you know, you get one bad injury and then all of a sudden you can't train. He, he's 62 and you, you get one bad injury and you can't do the one thing that you love doing. And it's like, yeah, I don't think that, that that's worth it. And so some of my older guys, I try to be really protective of them because I know, you know, just from getting to see my dad's experience to get to black belt, I know the importance of longevity. And so I will kind of 
with that. I will, I will kind of discourage some guys every once in a while. If they go, hey, I want to do this IBJJF. There's somebody in my actual age group and actual weight class. Do you think I should do it? Like, yeah, that's totally different. But if we're doing something local and there's a chance that you get your division tied together with the adults or you, you know what I mean? Something like that, then I'll, I'll maybe discourage a little bit. Um, but most of the time I'm, I, if somebody wants to, I'm like, Hey, let's do it. Let's compete. Yeah, we, um, we get pretty lucky at the competitions they have around here. They break it down by age pretty good. Now they got, um, they even added a 50 and up bracket, which oh, that's I awesome. is pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I, dude, I've had, I've had guys that were 50 be put in like master one, which is like 30 and up. Yeah. I'm like, dude, yeah. this guy's this guy. I mean, in a year I would be fighting a 50 year old in those, you know what I mean? In those circumstances, yep. like that doesn't make sense. And yeah, uh, I watched our friend Billy do that. He was 51 and nobody was in his age group. So they knocked him down one. And I was watching from the stands. I was like, you poor bastard. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> the energy was just different. <laughs> So how how do you approach uh, competing now? Like, has has your mindset changed or your approach to competing changed since you've been doing it for so long? Absolutely. I mean, when you're when you're a kid, something nice is that you tend to overthink things less. But as I started to get older, the competition got tougher. You know, like the the level of guys I'm fighting all the time is getting tougher. I started to notice that I would struggle more with competition anxiety. I was competing less frequently. Um, now I like, if I was looking back at myself at, at, at purple belt, I would just told myself, Hey, you just need to compete more. You'll figure those things out naturally. Um, but there are two main things that me and my students use that work really, really well for competition approach anymore. Uh, and the first one is, you know, for that anxiety of the match, this is an actual physical thing and not just a way to think. Um, but for that anxiety of the match, uh, Wim Hof breathing can take can totally change the anxiety uh, that you experience in the lead up to a jiu-jitsu match something about it separates your you know kind of your your mind from your body there's just something about that like forced hyperventilation that just makes you go oh i think i think dying of of not being able to breathe is what i was worried about and since in this controlled environment, I let myself almost die from not being able to breathe, uh, it kind of just puts you there and it's really helpful. The second thing is a mindset. And the mindset is just do jujitsu. So often when you go compete, you want to think about this guy's going to be bigger. He's going to be stronger. What did he weigh in at? What did I weigh in at? What belt level does he have? But in the gym, you really wouldn't think of those things at all. In the gym, you would just do jujitsu. You would just go and grapple. You wouldn't care. You would go, oh, this guy thrashed me. Oh, cool, whatever, you know? But you would try to grapple. You would try to get into your grip bites. You would try to win. You would get into your best positions. When you would land in your best positions, you would go, finally, I'm here. I can go. But so often, because we watch too many movies, we want there to be this like mental battle or there, um, this like war of attrition in our jujitsu matches. And a lot of times we bring that in. And I think if you start to get yourself more comfortable just with that idea of, Hey, just go out and grapple. Who cares what, what happens? I think the, the story I always use in this, we were using this statement and this saying a lot, 
Um, but I remember specifically, it was like pans two years ago, uh, two of my white belts were there competing. I was actually on vacation in Florida and I just drove up to coach them. I didn't, uh, wasn't anticip wasn't planning on being there. just kind of worked out and I go up and I coach them and, um, it's two brothers and, uh, they, so shout out to Allen brothers jujitsu, but they're both, they're <laughs> both ready to go. Um, Bryce is, uh, he's doesn't seem nervous. I kind of give him his little pep talk, but Brian, the older brother, he's seeming really nervous. And I'm like, okay, you know, tell me what you're dealing with. Tell me what you're feeling. And he's like, I just, I want to do good. I just, I want to, you know, I want to win this. I want to go, you know, do my best at least. And he's just really nervous. And I go, Brian, you know, we're from Granite city, Illinois. You're in Orlando, Florida competing right now. Okay. You've already won. I go, when, what I go, who else do we know that gets to travel the country to go fight people? Right. And I go, so I want you to think about this. I go, you go to work on Monday and Gretchen from accounting could have gotten a face tattoo, but you still would have done the coolest thing this weekend. You know, you went and fought somebody in Florida and I go, so since you've already won, since there's nothing to lose, how about you just go do jujitsu? And so Brian goes out and he was on a string of losing too. He goes out in his first match and he chokes his guy unconscious. And it was like dominant performance. And he was a tough guy. And he runs off the mat and he goes, I just did jujitsu. And we end up keeping that going. And he ends up, he ends up losing to the guy that wins it in the semifinal. So he does get third. Um, he has like four or five matches, just an amazing performance. But the whole time, every single time he would get done competing, we would walk off the mat and he would say, I'm just doing jujitsu. I'm just grappling. And that was the mindset we stayed in. And that was like, that's my example for why we started to really push this mindset. And even my students, actually, when I woke up on Saturday morning for this match that I had, it's this big match. It's the main event. It's against a tough guy. And my wife's like, well, what are you going to do tonight? And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go for a collar tie. She said, no, no, no. She goes, what are you going to do tonight? And I'm like, okay, you obviously are looking for a specific answer. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Typical married she, life. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh, I guess I'm wrong. Uh, and she goes, just do jujitsu. And I was like, thanks, babe. You're right. And that was, you know, what I did. And that, that approach to me, of course, I have game plans. Of course, we work specifically for, you know, specific situations now. Um, but if there's one thing that I got to take, you know, that has helped me over and over and helped so many of my students, it is that statement, just do jujitsu. When, when it comes to your wife is a blue belt, right? Mm -hmm. And she works, she trains under you, obviously, right? So how how does that affect your marriage or your relationship with each other because i often see uh couples that train together and you know it, it, it it's kind of like when kids train with their parents it builds that like really strong bond of going through some adversity with each other um how how has it helped your your marriage or your relationship with each other so i don't know if specifically it has helped our marriage. I don't know if we communicate better because of it or anything like that, but I know that, it, you know, you guys train jujitsu. You, you, you know what I mean? It jujitsu helps people, you know, it yeah. helps individuals. And at least until my wife got her blue belt, um, now we do train together a little more, but until she got her blue belt, we really didn't train together. 
Really? We really, I kind of let the other guys coach her because I have so many very uh, uh, capable coaches at my gym that don't have a relationship with her that, you know what I mean? Because there's something, there's something weird in the situation like, okay, at home we're equals, but then mm -hmm. we go to the gym and I'm a black belt and you're a white belt. And uh, my way of dealing with that was simply to not deal with it and just to go, hey, how about Smart. you just learn from the other guys, you just absorb jujitsu and you just let jujitsu get you better. And I'll be here on the drive home when you know, you're upset because you lost tonight and, you know, and help you with those things. But when it comes to techniques and when it comes to you know, me saying what you could do better, I just not, I'm not going to do that. I just, you know, like, and like I said, we, you know, that's why I think it didn't change our marriages because we had that good communication. We had that structure already and we both recognized it. You know, obviously in the beginning we tried, but we both recognized like it doesn't seem to work. It doesn't seem to work very well when it's, when it's you and I, and I'm trying to tell you jujitsu because normally you know, if it was anything else, you would be like, okay, I can question this. But here, mm -hmm. you're not allowed to question. I'm just this ultimate authority on on positions and on concepts and ideas and stuff. And yeah, just to avoid that, we just just didn't train. You know, we roll together that's, sometimes, that's, that's but that's about it. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. When when my wife and I uh, first met, I was a coach at our gym at at a CrossFit gym, and she had came to join our CrossFit gym, and so. When we first started dating, she would, you know, be in my classes and I would coach her and, and whatnot. And uh, we always make the joke of like, you know, before we started dating, she would listen to everything I had to say. You know, I was I was right about technique and whatnot. And then the second we started dating, it was like I I'd never I don't know anything about fitness. I don't know anything about technique. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, she'll go to someone else to teach them. And, uh, you know, that's a joke, obviously. But, you know, it, it, it like to your point, if you have that kind of separation and then you can come back to it. It, it honestly, to me, you, you know, it sounds like a perfect situation because especially uh, when someone's feeling vulnerable and they don't know, and then, you know, you're kind of sitting there and you're like, look, babe, you could probably be doing this better. You could be doing this. Like, I know I could be doing this better. And you know, it kind of, it can build off of that. And uh, I don't know, that's a really smart way to look at it. It's like, cause I, I, I feel honestly myself, I probably would, I would go the opposite route if my wife were to join, I would. I think I would try to try too hard. But I'm a stupid blue belt, so obviously mm -hmm. we try to coach everyone, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you mentioned, uh, or your, one of your big things is uh, designated winner, and and I kind of want to talk about that a little bit because we kind of implemented the same thing. Cody, our gym owner, he started listening to Greg Souders. And, huh? you know, he was like really taken away about this whole mindset mindset shift in and how to coach and how to implement technique and how things should be a game and whatnot. How did you f fall into the designated winner uh, mindset for coaching? So um, first off, I always like to make sure I clarify, I did not invent designated winner. I just coined right. the term. I was just like one of yeah. the first people that said, hey. I'm noticing, and maybe systemized it a little bit, right? But I'm noticing when I, I'm getting to travel that certain high-level gyms are training ways that doesn't have a name. And what they're doing is they're not rolling live, they're not positional sparring, but they're not just drilling either. There is there is almost this, and I think, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm big on trying to look at other places other than just jujitsu because jujitsu eventually... 
when you get enough people that we all look to the same the same say, uh, five guys for all of our ideas, we start to create a little bit of an echo chamber in jiu-jitsu and we might stop progressing, right? And so something I heard a lot in, in wrestling, and uh, I specifically remember a Ben Askren interview. I don't know, remember where it was, but he was saying the biggest problem that they have in jiu-jitsu is that they don't drill enough. And it was actually, it, it took me a while to understand this, but it was actually just a language barrier between wrestling and jujitsu. When wrestling talks about drilling, they are pretty close to what I would call designated winner a lot of the time. Meaning, I'm going to go for this single leg, give me 20% resistance, give me 40% resistance. And just that, just that little bit of, I am going to go for this and you give me resistance, I noticed that. Yeah, I think Ben Askren's right. I think that we aren't doing this. And I actually uh, watched his documentary specifically because I was curious if he would talk about training method. And he does. He talks about how he and another guy, they would call it, I think they would call it flowing. They would um, stay after practice and just for hours work really deeply in positions. They would discuss the positions back and forth and they would say, it works better if I do this, give me a little resistance. And then they would drill it. And that's what their drilling was. It wasn't like we think of drilling in jiu-jitsu. Hey, Josh is going to show a guard pass. Everybody do it the exact same way yeah. that Josh does it, right? And then um, kind of the other side of that is how I was starting to learn to teach differently. So instead of teaching a guard pass, I started to focus on what am I thinking about when I'm doing this guard pass? Because I could hit three or four different guard pass from this situation. I could, you know, I could go here, I could go here, you know, I could finish this guard pass all these different ways. So I started to look at certain things, certain ideas. One of them we, we call, uh, you hear people talk about like chest to chest passing a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, something that we, we use a term we use a lot is chin over trap, right? If you are guard passing and you get your chin over the trap of your opponent and they are not touching your hips, those, those are the only things you need. You are able to flatten your opponent. If you flatten your opponent, they are not going to be as good at jiu-jitsu. If they're on all four of their main joints, both shoulders and both hips, they will absolutely not be as good. You're not as strong from that position. You can't blade yourself, which is what we do to defend. Like if you think about what a shrimp is, it's just mm -hmm. the ability to get off of flat. Um, you can't do that. And so we started to look, okay, there are these ideas, these big overarching ideas that are more helpful than me showing you guys 10 passes. You can do 10 different guard passes and even figure them out as you'll hear um, Greg Souders talk about. You will figure these things out intuitively yeah. because you are realizing what the real big goal is or the real big game is. And so with those pieces, we started to try to make a training method. And this is like, this was made over months and months of just training with my dad, training with my students. And you know, we really didn't have a name. We're just like, hey, we're, drilling you know and that's what we kept calling it and eventually we started to get it structured and we started to create it in a sense that i would go into class on a monday and i would go okay guys we're going to play designated winner tonight and we are going to do um you know this is the idea it is chin over trap right i want you to focus on chin over trap you can add knee cut you can do, um, I mean, you can even do like double under stack pass and get chin over trap. And that's when you'll be able to finish the pass. You'll be crushing the person with a double under. Like we're going to look at it like this. They'll give you a bunch of options. Um, and now you guys implement it. So the real reason that designated winner works, in my opinion, is because 
uh, the best way to actually learn something is to combine it with what you already know. And so you're going to then take the three guard passes that you like to do. Your opponent is going to give you 20% resistance, no more than 20%. And I'll even, you know, I'll break it down even further and say, this is what 20% resistance is only frames, no grips. You know, if you're gripping on the person and tying them up, that's more, that's what we'll consider 40% resistance. And if, you know, since you're only doing 20%, if the dude is just being a bulldozer and breaks right through your frames, just let him. You know, and so what it starts to do is one for the top person, you're willing to try stuff because you're not worried about losing. That's why we call it designated winner. The top guy is the DW, the designated winner. And so you're not worried about losing and you're able to start to basically the best way to explain it for me is when you play a video game, you're playing a shooting game. You first have to learn about like how to use the screen and then how to aim and then how to run and how to jump. And then those are all your skills and you have to do them in a live situation. So you can either just jump online against guys that have been playing forever who will just murder you or you can go into the training room of the game uh, and start to go, okay, well, we're not worried about shooting. We're not worried about aiming. We're just learning how to run and jump. And then you can get good at running and jumping, right? And so designated winner can become this control room where you start to say, I'm not worried about getting armbarred. Like I get armbarred all the time. I'm not worried about it right now. I'm just worried about getting my offense, practicing my offense. And what's really cool is you'll do it for a three minute round. Then you'll stop. You'll do it for another three minute round. By that second one, maybe it doesn't always happen, but by the third one, you'll go, I can feel myself getting better at these guard passes. I am hitting them with less effort. I'm hitting them with better angles. I'm hitting them because you are learning intuitively. You knew where your goal was. And of course, if there's ever like, it's not like all my students are just teaching themselves, right? They are asking questions and they're saying, hey, I'm getting stuck here. They're block, they're framing my hips. Well, remember the rule was if they're touching your hips, then this, then the chin over trap doesn't work anymore. And so you've got to what? You've got to free your hips and then you go back to your chin over trap passing. And so we start to do it like that. We do these, you know, these reps, and then you can even add more resistance. You can say, okay, well, now we're going to go to 40% resistance. Uh, this time, the guy might tie you up. He might get you in spider guard, or he might get you in lasso. And what you're going to do is you are going to feel your way through it. He's just going to hold you there. If he puts you in a triangle, he's remember, you're the designated winner. He's not going to finish it. You're going to get a rep escaping a triangle. You know, you're going to make sure you get your posture. You're going to make sure you get this or that. And so there's like a few little avenues. Obviously, the fact that you're you don't have to worry about losing. You're able to add in whatever you want. You're able to add in your jujitsu that you already like and you already know and connect it to the new skill that I'm trying to teach. Uh, and it is not deadpan drilling. Deadpan drilling is the most boring thing in the world. Yeah, you play designated preach. winner. You have the right music on. You literally can do it and you like have your timer set. You know what you're going to work. You can do it for an hour and a half before you will go, man, I'm starting to get a little bored doing this. Literally <laughs> we'll do it for an hour and a half and we'll get done. And guys will be like, whoa, that, that went by really fast. And yeah. so I, I just think to me, you know, having that structure of it, I think for so many schools, that's a big missing piece is that that bridge between deadpan drilling and positional sparring, or even for some schools, deadpan drilling and just live rolling. Designated winner is kind of that bridge uh, uh, between the two. And I mean, 
I see it in my students. My students have been, since we've really adapted this, it's probably been like 18 months. Um, so you've really been focused on it. And I notice that my students are getting better than they ever have. Uh, just because they're learning how to drill. They're learning how to have good conversation between the, you know, because sometimes you're doing it. If you're doing designated winner with me and you're hitting a pass, I'll be like, oh, that felt good. And then you're going to go in your mind and be like, I'll go, hey, hit two more reps of that. I'll give you the same resistance, hit two more reps, and then you'll hit those two reps and you'll, we'll kind of get this rhythm back and forth between us, uh, where I'm kind of grasping, oh, he's hitting this pass because he's getting this grip. And then when it's my turn, I'm going to try to get that grip and use that because that pass was cool. Right. And yeah. so you're able to feed off. And I just, to me, the, the level of progression that you get in that is just so much more than anything else I've ever seen. When it comes to like new students with designated winner, my, my, just my under, like with a little bit that we've been doing it, uh, how would you approach like a day one, you know, or within the first couple months that <clears throat> they don't have that, that firm grasp of the basics yet, right? So if you're like, hey, you know, go ahead, pass their guard, they're gonna be like, yeah, I don't even know what that means. You know what I mean? It's kind of like goes with the conceptual idea to me. Like you have to have a like to me, you have to have a base, like a, a foundation of like somewhat of knowledge in certain positions and understanding these things in order for these things to actually be effective. How do you implement them for like newer practitioners? So uh, I totally agree as the, as a uh, as somebody who probably gets now put as a conceptual teacher. I think that you should not be full concept. This is just my opinion. I don't think that you should absolutely show only concept and be like, hey, I don't want to show any technique ever because it will limit people's uh, you know, creativity. I don't think that it's like that. I think that a lot of times the concept works more if you have more context, right? Mm -hmm. And our context is techniques. So um, when it comes to con conceptual teaching and things like that, uh, I don't want to ever people to ever think that I'm like, anti-teaching techniques and stuff. I definitely still teach techniques, um, but I use them as tools to solve the, con the, the concept, right? Uh, and so like the biggest way to look at it though from a, a low level person, from a white belt, is the same thing that we were just talking about with uh, the video game, right? The more things that you add in, the harder it's gonna be for you to, to focus on one. And so I will limit it so much. I will limit the game so much. So here is a, a a good example of that. And this is like, you know, we're still designated winners still in the infancy too. And so there are going to be people that figure out, hopefully now more people are, are talking about it, more people are trying it. So hopefully there are going to be people that are telling me different ways to, to grow it and do better with it. Um, but the simpler I can make the game, the better it is. Okay. So we had this idea of there's a precursor to every guard pass and the precursor is going to be control of the upper thighs okay so you think about any guard pass that you do whether that control is my shin with a knee cut whether it's my hand if i'm doing a leg weave whether it's both of my hands when i'm doing a double underpass control of the upper thigh is a precursor to passing the guard Okay. God damn it! I'm just I'm gonna pause real quick because I've just I'm like running through every guard pass I do in my I head, know, and I'm like I'm like God damn it! How come I have never heard that before? That's like yeah. right. And so you think about even a Toriando pass. Oh well, I'm not touching the upper thigh. Thinking, yep. What do I do with my shin to actually finish 
the, the Toriando pass or my shoulder to actually finish the Toriando pass. I drop it to the upper thigh. Yep. And so we can use this a few different ways. We can use it for guard passing, trying to control the upper thighs. Or for me, what makes more sense and is more fun and is super simple, use it for guard retention. I used to teach guard retention and say things like, okay, never overextend your legs. Do this, do that, feet here, do this. That. I would have all these rules. And then, and I literally, I taught this way for years. And then one day I said, all of guard retention is keeping the person off of your upper thighs. Do not let them touch your upper thighs. So we're going to start designated winner at 20% and it's not even a, a real jujitsu round. All you're going to do is you are going to have the top person try to control the upper thighs with their hands, with their legs, with whatever. They can be creative and they can have fun with it, but they're going to try to, and you're going to be active with your grip fighting and you're going to free your upper thighs. So we start playing this game and I literally have my purple and brown belts that have been with me since I opened my gym seven and a half years ago. And they are grasping the concepts of not overextending, of keeping your knees in tight. They're grasping these things through the game and not through, I've been teaching them these things for, for years and they're grasping them through the game. And so that right there was big, right? It was, it was something really simple and it was just a, a simple game. And we played this game for like four weeks and then we moved on to guard passing and on the day we moved on to guard passing, we were just doing a day of full-on designated winner. I wasn't teaching anything on the night. And I was just letting you, we always call it like learning from the room. You know, we just have a really strong room. We have a lot of upper belts now. So you're kind of learning from everybody. There's a brand new guy on his first day and he was invited by a white belt who had been training for six months. And so I, I'm prepared to go help, but I'm just, you know, I'm curious. I'm just like watching what's going on. I'm like, I wonder what these guys are going to do. The timer's set. So I'm watching the six month white belt and I'm seeing he's explaining something. And then I look and they're playing a game and it's guard retention and they're playing off the upper thighs. And so literally the game was so simple that a six month white belt correctly taught another white belt to play the game. And without me at all, literally without my use at all, I did not have to help. And then later on the night, one of my tougher blue belts goes, hey, this new kid is going to be good. And I go, why do you say that? He goes, intuitively, he knew how guard retention worked. I don't know how, but he was retaining guard on me. And I go, dude, he was playing the upper thigh game. And the blue belt was like, no way. That really? Like, yeah, that was all that happened. And so, uh, the, the you know, that's obviously just more of an example than anything. But as long as you're keeping it really, really simple, you know, you can even keep it in the idea of like, your job as the top person from side control is to keep the other person flat, right? That is what your whole job is. If you listen to me coaching at a tournament, people will be like, oh man, you're so good at coaching live matches. I'm like, no, I yell the same crap over and over and <laughs> over again. And it's just, it's so structured now. Yo, I don't even coach anymore. My students are yelling what I would be yelling. Keep them flat. Keep them flat. We're not worried about... Kimura, arm lock, anything. We're just worried about winning that fight. Keep them flat. We know that when we drill it in the gym, that's the whole job. Keep the person flat. If he's flat, he ain't escaping. And so we just start to do that. We start to play it that way. It helps with coaching. It helps with understanding. And you can take those things of like, okay, well, my only job is to keep you flat. And you start to find submissions off that. You start to, to find other things. And you can even 
once somebody has positional sparred or designated winner sparred, uh, you know, side control for enough time and they know that their job is to keep them flat, well, then you can start adding submissions to their designated winner. They know the real fight, the real thing that matters, and then you start to add those finishes and they start to actually get success with them and actually hit them. Does that, that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, John and I, our school, like I said, uh, Cody, when he was coaching, our main professor is a black belt and he teaches high school wrestling. So he's gone for like three or four months out of the year for just coaching uh, wrestling season. And so Cody really implemented it. And I don't know, it's, it's been a game changer for yeah, us. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. And I, I remember part of my heartache like year two was everything was really structured and we had to do everything exactly the way it was taught and i hated it i was like it felt so stifling because i was like man you know sometimes like i just can't move this way but i wanted to try it a different way and they were like no you got to do it this way i was like i hated that breaking news manscape now sells beard products that's right they are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new beard hedger pro kit from a beard trim to a fresh shave the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make sure your drapes match your carpet. By going to manscaped.com and using the code ETP20 for 20% off and free shipping. Again, that's ETP20 for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to tame your mane. No one likes a weird beard, so say goodbye to the stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. My wife hates when I have stubble. She actually, she's like, don't even kiss me trim that mustache and same, th- thanks same. manscape for making it possible now it all starts with the beard hedger this thing is a juggernaut for fixing faces first off the cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 haircutting lengths all with one guard so no more messy drawers full of extras and add-ons that's right face grooming doesn't need to be hard get 20 different beard lengths and just one guard the pro beer kit also comes with three free gifts a beer brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off in free shipping with the code ETP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code ETP20. Manscaped, beard hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Thanks, Manscaped, for sponsoring this episode. So I was thinking, I was actually uh, hoping that this conversation would come up. So, uh... I want to say it was Travis who said this. I was listening to your guys' show, and you guys were talking Uh-oh. to Jordan. Um, uh, Pressinger? Jordan, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jordan does jujitsu, And yeah. you guys were talking. You were talking about the idea of inverting. And you were saying, I would like to, you know, a goal I have is I would like to invert more. Okay? It was you who said that, right? Travis, yeah, I'm, yep, not, yep, I'm not. Okay. Yep. And so... so yeah, He's too um, old to him. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you'll never hear me say that. Yeah, his so. back might as well be fused at his age. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> And so if you think about what inverting is, and you look at that same game of controlling your upper thighs, only reason you invert is because you can glue your upper thighs to your stomach and it prevents me from getting connection on them, right? That's why I can't flatten you into side control into north-south. So I just thought it would be fun. You can let me know how it goes. You can shoot me a text message in a few weeks, but try to add the upper thigh game to your training and see if you ever even need to invert you will find that you don't so many people they you know you're when you're trying to pass on top a good inverter you'll go man this is obviously a huge thing this is obviously so important to jiu-jitsu is being able to invert but anymore i don't invert you know i i you know i inverted when i was a kid 
And then when I started to realize what was actually happening and how I could actually defend, and if I just protected my upper thighs, I didn't need to make that stressful position on my back. Um, but you can kind of look at that and experiment and play some designated winter rounds with it. And not that I will guarantee, but I will guarantee you that your <laughs> guard retention, you will know, you'll be like, dude, I can be chill. The I could go into practice with no intention of doing anything but retaining my guard. And like, nobody's passing me anymore. You know, the other, like I said, the other little note on that can, you know, you're beating the upper thigh control. And then if you want to add your own offense to it, then you control the person's thighs or you control a person's hips, meaning you put your feet on their hips, right? Yeah. You can use a daily heave hook. You can use spider guard. But if you put a frame on their hips, they're not passing anymore. And if you protect your upper thighs, they're not passing anymore. Those two things, you add that into designated winner, you build up the... Um, like the intensity, you know, 20% at first, the guy's trying to control your upper thighs, then 40%. Then eventually you're going with guys who are just trying to pass your guard. And your only thought, keep my upper thighs controlled, keep my upper thighs controlled. You might have to, you'll learn to create distance. You'll learn to do all kinds of other things. But the big note will be to keep your upper thighs from getting controlled. And you can tell me like a month from now and let we'll, me know. We'll try it. We can yeah, kind of yeah, do it as a little experiment. And, yeah, no, uh, no one that at my gym listens to this podcast. So no, <laughs> they're like, I'm touching Travis's upper thighs the whole time. <laughs> yeah, got this guy now. <laughs> so uh, when whenever the jujitsu community kind of, uh, especially in the realm of Reddit, whenever they have someone that comes out with uh, something that kind of changes the traditional look of what jujitsu is, they get kind of forced uh, or they get kind of met with a lot of. I don't know, negativity, kind of like Preet Michelson, he with the defensive jujitsu, mm -hmm. he's like absolutely hated on the internet for it. You know, like whenever someone kind of challenges what this traditional idea is of jujitsu, they they get a lot of pushback. Have you noticed that with, you know, you and Greg Souders, they're kind of like, that's stupid. Why would you ever do that? So I would say no, not for designated winner. I haven't. And really? the reason I haven't is because I did a good job of filtering anybody out in the at my podcast episodes before that by saying things like uh uh shrimping is stupid you know like shrimping up and down the mats uh to warm up like that you know to me it doesn't it doesn't make sense That's a great to do topic. right Let's, and, don't, don't and so and so yeah <laughs> and so i know people hate me for that right people get people get so mad at that but what it did was it also filtered out all those people that would hate me for shrimping up and down the mat and the people that were left, they were open to the idea of designated winner. Right. And so I haven't gotten met with enough. And I just think that like, I think uh, some of the, the right people started doing it and it, it was just kind of, you know, I just had some of the right situations. I got to the first time I ever showed designated winner um, was at this this yearly jujitsu camp that they do in Wisconsin called uh, the Stronghold Camp, and uh, they I'm going to be teaching in it in uh, in June of this year too. But I taught last year, and the other coaches were Mark Vives, who's like one of the most um, active masters competitors that there is, and then Chewy. And so um, they got to be there. They were there while I was showing it. And so I really had some good guys to say like, hey, this is stupid or like, this is good. And both guys were really cool about it and they were really encouraging about it. And so that gave me a lot of confidence. But then what kind of happened just through like odd luck is uh, Mark 
super open-minded guy starts telling his students like, Hey, we were doing something similar to this. We'll just call it designated winner. You know, and he just starts to, to really push that name. And so I start to get, I start to see stuff on Instagram. That's like, yeah, we're drilling designated winner. And people didn't know it came from me. Like people I've known for long periods of time. And they're like, yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't listen to my show obviously, but they just heard of this you know, I, you know, I'm going to drill it. Right. So enough people were doing that. I got like, uh, um, uh, Jake Luigi from less Press more involved. Uh, you guys familiar with that YouTube? Yeah. Show? Yeah. Jake, he's it, coming on the show also. Awesome. And so he, uh, you know, he was a guy that early on, he was an early designated winner adapter. And so, you know, he has, I think he has a lot more like credibility than I do. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, more people know him. And so, uh, him kind of pushing it and, and saying how much it's helped him, you know, I kind of like it almost, it started to come out more after other people had done it than when I started pushing it. And so I didn't get met with a ton of resistance. What, John, do you want to talk about warmups? Cause that's, I know that's a great topic for, for, I for love our warmups right now. Yeah, what are you talking about, but no, like line drills and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, when like, we yeah first couple of years, there you know our warm ups were probably a good thirty thirty five minutes, and it was a lot of you know the duck walks and uh, shrimping up and down the mat and cartwheels and push ups and diamond push ups and crunches. I was like, dude, I feel like I signed up for CrossFit again. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, I didn't like that type of warm up. That that kind of warm up wasn't for me. How, how do like you he, how do you implement warm ups? I feel like you guys were trying to set me up on a hot take here, so I'll I'll give it to you guys. Let me, you know, let me go I'll, ahead. I'll let you guys know. Uh, you want me to pause the recording? You can just say this offline. <laughs> Everyone knows I hated those warmups. So for me, yes, I you know I when my coach first started you know teaching, he was teaching like everybody else, right? And we would do these warm ups. And when I started my school, I think I initially would do those too, and I started to question. Okay, these guys get to train three times a week. You know, some of the, that's probably the average, right? They get to train for one hour, three times a week. Is this the most efficient use of their time? For if the goal is to get better at jujitsu, because to me, there is no other goal when you are on the mat. Of course, we have the camaraderie, we have all those other things, but the only goal that you should really have when you're on the mat is progression is getting better at jujitsu. And to me, duck walks, uh, push-ups, you know, jumping jacks, cartwheels do not make you better at jujitsu. And here is where people get offended. I don't think that shrimping up and down the mat makes you better at jujitsu. And the reason I say that is because the movement of shrimping up and down the mat is not actually the same movement that you do when you are escaping side control or you are escaping mount. Really, what you're trying to do when you are escaping those positions is use distance to your favor and learn how to get on one side. Uh, that's a pre Mickelson uh, idea, right? Is if you can get on your shoulder and your hip, you are so much more defensive than if you yeah. were flat, right? And mm -hmm. so instead of worrying about can you shrimp up and down the mat the way that I visualize you should be able to, I think can you accomplish the goal that we're actually trying to accomplish when we shrimp, which is can you get on your side and your hip? It's totally different when you have another human being on top of you. You have to learn how to scoot out from underneath the person, which is not a shrimping movement, right? Because you're not, you don't have that resistance right. on top. And right. so I think it's something that for a long time, 
it was used to fill time in a class, right? And like, you got to remember the, the initial, uh, jujitsu teaching is also, it's also like selling too. You have to keep selling your jujitsu and making it fun. And people knew if I make people sweaty and I make them feel like they worked really hard, the same way you wouldn't a workout that there you're going to be, you're going to go, Oh, that was effective. I got better. But to me, I'm like, Hey, now we're competing. I don't care about, you know, if you feel or not as effective, I want you to get better. And so to me, that's like, I don't anymore. Our warm up is usually the first round of designated winner that we do. It's I teach something and then we get right into designated winner. We then increase the intensity. We then turn it to positional sparring and then we go into live sparring. And that's pretty much how I, how I teach, how I like to do mine. And it, it really is just because I think so often time is wasted on the mat. And to me, this is the most efficient way that I know of right now to, to get people better. Yeah. And I think we've kind of morphed that way now. It's just yeah. uh, some stretching and then right in a, some positional and right in a technique, which I like. Yeah. We yeah. had a uh, Maliki Freeman on our podcast a couple of years ago and I made a podcast clip out of, you know, him talking about how he thinks jujitsu ornaments are stupid. Right. <laughs> yep. Same thing. And, uh, <laughs> People in the comment section on YouTube are hilarious, man, because he took the he literally spells it out perfectly how he thinks traditional warm ups of calisthenics, push ups, shrimping. He thinks that's stupid. Not he he's not saying that warming your person up is stupid. He's saying this methodology of warming up someone is stupid. Right. He likes to use drills or doesn't, you know, things like that in order to get the body warm for jujitsu by mm -hmm. doing jujitsu. Right. And another Jordan, I think it was Jordan in our first interview with him. He talks about how warm-ups are stupid also because what you're gonna get sweaty for ten minutes and then you're gonna sit down for five or ten minutes and watch technique cool and then down. you're gonna do, uh, you know, four or five reps and then you're gonna sit there and watch again. Like it's just not. It's not to me. It's not practical mm -hmm. in in longevity because I, I'm gonna warm up. I'm gonna cool off. I'm gonna warm up. I'm gonna cool off. You know what I mean? So it's just I don't know. I th I, I don't think it should be a hot take. Like you mentioned, like I, I, to me, if you look at it objectively, like what are you actually doing? You know what I mean? But that, that's just me. Yeah. And I think it, a couple of years ago it would have been a hot take, but I think everyone's kind yeah. of changing mm -hmm. now. I think that just, it, it's pretty typical in, it's probably not just jujitsu. It's probably every aspect of life, but you just, you get into this mode of, you know, you, you look at it in anything that we have, we are the smartest right now. This is the smartest that we've ever been in as a society. And that's what it's acted like. You know, that's what it's sold as. And with jujitsu, yeah. it's the same thing. Like now we have everything figured out. It's like, dude, this art's 75 years old and so it had young. to travel between a language to get here. And you're telling me that we have everything figured out that we've, oh, now it's time to, to stop looking outside the box and it's just time to, to focus on what we have. There's just no way that just does not make sense to me. Uh, especially when I start to see the growth, when I start to get all these different podcast guests on and they talk about ideas I've never heard of. And I'm like, dude, I've been around jujitsu for so long and I'm just now hearing about this and I'm just now starting to understand this. And to me, that is like, uh, yeah, it's just the opposite of the, the learner's mindset in jujitsu. And so often it, I think it comes from higher level guys. They stop learning and they just like, okay, this is. I'm good here, you know, obviously, and they, they are, they're amazingly good grapplers, but the thing is the game changes, you know, things change. And if you're not adapting, if you're not 
paying attention to what's going on, uh, I do think you you end up getting left behind. Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. Craig Jones was just on a podcast where uh, there's a bunch of clips that came out. And, um, you know, one of the things he talks about is, you know, uh, club black belts or whatever, right? Guys that get their black belt and they, they own a school, and but they don't watch tape. They're not keeping up with what's modern jujitsu. They're not keeping up with the, the new things, right? They just they stick with what they, they learned in their journey, and that's it. To you, what makes a good coach? Like, what what aspects of a person makes them a good coach? Uh, I think that one of them, I think that the first thing to, if I was looking for a coach, and this is something I've been so fortunate to have, um, but I think that you should have your morals match up with your coach. I think that that is just, just this, just totally random, but I think for the, for the future for your jujitsu, uh, I just know so many people that have had these really bad breakups with their coach be- just because they their morals were not in line with each other. Uh, so I think that that is going to be big because that's a big point of trust. And the coach-student relationship is give and take. I have learned so much over the last few years from my students. So many podcast episodes that I had were totally inspired by I questions that my students have asked me or tournament situations that they've been in and... Um, you know, in so like having that back and forth, but this was the number one thing that my coach always did that I feel like separated him from everybody else. And it was that he was willing to learn. He was not closed off ever. If I wanted to learn from, uh, my, uh, my Eddie Bravo rubber guard book that I had next to my toilet, and I brought in some moves, he wouldn't say, Hey, those are YouTube moves. Don't do that. And I know that's, that's uh, less common now, but 15 years ago, that was so common. Close yourself off to ideas. Oh, no, we don't do ankle locks. Uh, we don't think that they work. You know, like, well, my mm. coach would say, <laughs> could you make them work? You know, like, how mm. could you make them work? Yeah. And he was so big on always bringing in anybody he could from the outside to to give us a new perspective. And he would just kind of cherry pick. He would take what he liked and then he would leave the rest, right? And we so often, like, especially in the way that we view, like, I think politics, we do this in jujitsu so much. You look at like, oh, I don't like what this guy says about this one topic. And so I hate this guy. And like, what about 90% of the other stuff that he says that you like, but you refuse because you don't like that other 10%, right? You say, oh, I can't endorse this person in any way. And we do that in jujitsu so much too, where we'll go, oh, well, I, I, I don't listen to the I suck at jujitsu show because we shrimp up and down our mats and Josh, Josh says not to, (laughs) who cares? What if you shrimp up and down your mats, but you could get some value from something else, right? Uh, Something else that's talked about something else that I say. And so often in jujitsu, we don't do that. And that's something that my coach just always did. He always made sure that we listened to everybody. We heard out everybody. We experimented all the time. Uh, he's just so willing to get inspired from all these different places and try different things. And so uh, for me, that's where I think that's where you develop a good coach's mindset because it's going to be so many th- little lessons learned and little things that make you a great coach. And the only way you're going to have those experiences is if you don't get uh, too rigid in your thinking and you don't say, okay, now I've got it. 
figured out. I mean, you could got, you guys could ask me 10 years from now and I'd be like, oh no, designated winner sucks. I don't do that anymore. I do this, right? <laughs> and um, and I think just being willing to, to do that and being willing to say, okay, you know, I will explain it to my students like this. You ask me a question today and then you ask me three years from now, my answers may be totally different, but they still could be right. They both could be right, right? I just understand a little deeper or a little differently, or I'm giving you a different perspective that I think you know now. And I think the only way to get that relationship with a coach is to have an open-minded coach. Yeah, absolutely. John, you got anything else, man? I don't, man. That's uh, some good advice. Luckily, we have um, some really good coaching right now. So that's Yeah, good. absolutely. So, Josh, we, you've said you listen to the show. We always like to end the, the show on the same question. If you give one piece of advice to a white belt just starting off, what would it be? Listen to the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. You know, but, on the elbows yeah. tight podcast. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> but if it wasn't that, if it wasn't a self promotion thing, um, I think that I, I really think get inspired, get as much advice as you can. You know, you're gonna a lot of the stuff that you hear, a lot of stuff that people say to you is is probably ninety percent wrong. You know, it probably it probably isn't the best advice in the world. But just get perspective, gather as much as you can, and then experiment on your own. You know, it don't trust that, oh, well, this Josh McKinney guy says that designated when it works, experiment with it, see if it actually works. If it doesn't work for you, you've given it a fair shake and you go, it doesn't work, then don't do it. Move on to something else. And I think that, like I said, it's just so easy to get rigid with our mindsets of, of any part of jujitsu. And it happens from white belt. You hear from white belt. Somebody says closed guard is the most important position. And then you work for years trying to develop closed guard. And then somebody says, hey, dude, your legs are like a foot long. There's no way you're going to have a good closed guard. You know, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I, I, I listened to that absolute and I made it. I got rigid. Right. And instead, you experiment with closed guard and you go, man, I can't get closed guard to work. You ask your questions. You talk to different people. And you go, maybe it just isn't for me. And then you move on to the next thing. And you start to look at, you know, maybe I'll I'll try this. Maybe I'll try half guard, you know. And uh, I think that just don't get too rigid. Get inspired as much as you can. And inspiration is different for different people. Some people are inspired by listening to a podcast. Some people are inspired by a, a John Danaher instructional. Some people watch a John Danaher instructional, exactly, and they fall asleep. And they're like, I can't do this. This isn't how I learn. Don't get frustrated by it. It is just specifically how you learn. It's not a big deal if you don't learn the same way everyone else does. Find what inspires you. For me personally, I only list, I only watch live competition. I watch no instructionals ever anymore. Uh, that's not true. I did watch Jake. Jake Luigi did send me his his new instructional because they put the designated winner stuff in it. Yeah. So of course. If you put designated winner in instruction, I'll watch that, right? <laughs> of course. Uh, but uh, most of the time, I really don't, just don't watch instructionals. I just, but that's just my preference. I don't learn. My dad, we came up together. He's watched every instructional that there has ever been put out by anybody. He's just an instruction. He just, you walk into his house. He's got a jujitsu dummy laying in his living room and an instructional on the TV. And it's like, okay, that's how he learns, right? And so don't, just don't get closed off. Don't believe in the absolutes. Just get inspired, keep learning. And uh, then the most important thing is be consistent because if you are not, you'll never get good at jujitsu. Perfect, man. 
Uh, Josh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today, giving us your time, man. It was a phenomenal conversation. I can't wait to put out all of your hot takes on social media so people can <laughs> <No>. just... <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> so, no, for real, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute blast of a conversation. It, the time flew by. It uh, really did. Yeah, so thank you so much. John, you got anything else? No, nah, man, thank you a lot. Oh, if people want to follow you or check out your stuff, where can they find you at? Um, so my Instagram is the Josh McKinney, uh, but the main place to consistently hear about what I'm doing is my show, my podcast, the I suck at jujitsu show. Uh, if anybody ever has a question, I don't recommend messaging me on Instagram cause I'll probably never respond to it. Uh, if you email me, Josh at simplifying jujitsu.com. I know it's, you know, very 2005 of me to say that, uh, but it's also because maybe that was a simpler time when we didn't have Instagram and everyone had that uh, ability to, to just reach you immediately, right? Right, um, right. But those, my, my main things are, are going to be, you know, the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. We post every Thursday. And then um, if you ever want to contact me, my email. And then if you ever want to train with me, uh, if you're ever in the St. Louis area, uh, come, come train with us at Head Not HQ. And so, yeah, I think that's those are all my my handles and stuff. Perfect, man. Thank you again, and uh, thank you everyone for listening and watching at home. And uh, remember, no oil checks here. Oops. All right, guys. Thanks. Peace. <laughs>